back to the Maroon Weekly. We are moving into 10th week, guys. We're almost done with winter quarter. Congratulations. My name is Ram, and I'm joined here by... Ruth. And Isaac. And we've got a lot of interesting stories for you guys today. And we're going to begin with the coronavirus topic. Isaac, you want to start us off? Right. So, last week, the University of Chicago... Medical Center, UCM, admitted the first patient suspecting of having COVID-19, the novel coronavirus, according to an email sent on Monday night by hospital officials to faculty, staff, and students who work in the hospital. Thankfully, the individual tested negative for the disease. In the email, I mentioned that UCM is working closely with local, state, and federal health officials and is following rigorous isolation and infection control protocols to ensure the safety of our staff, patients, and our neighbors. In that same email, it does not specify whether or not the patient was affiliated with the university, but after testing negative, it was confirmed that this patient indeed was not affiliated with the university in any way. The email was sent by three officials at UCM who do work in risk management, epidemiology, and, infec- and infection control at the hospital. Krista Carell, Emily Landon, and Rachel Mars, respectively. A couple months ago, I had an interview with Emily Landon about the novel coronavirus and its possible implications. She commented to me that she expected to see more cases in the United States and that they should be prepared for that. And in the email, it said that UCM has been preparing for this eventuality since COV-19 has become a global health concern in January. Since the disease has spread, there have been four confirmed cases in Illinois, and two of these cases have made a full recovery. The university has established a designated email, coronavirusinfo at uchicago.edu, and a resource center for inquiries about the virus. Illinois public health officials can be reached with questions about the coronavirus through the phone number 1-800-889-3931 or the email dph.sick at illinois.gov. Okay. The aforementioned resource center, coronavirusupdates.uchicago.edu, gives updates on the disease and how the university is tracking and providing protocol with commentary from epidemiologists, Uh, emails sent across campus, and public health information. Moving on to a related story, in an article by Yuen Liu, we learned that the college has relocated the Spring 2020 Hong Kong Colonizations Study Abroad Program to London in light of the coronavirus outbreak in China. University spokesperson Gerald McSwiggan noted that this decision is in line with the university guidance on international travel from Provost Kai Li as well as with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and U.S. State Department's Level 4 Do Not Travel Alert for China. The colonizations program in Hong Kong has been taught since spring of 2015 and counts toward the civilization's core requirement for students. Participants in the program also learn Mandarin. The relocated program in London will still fill the civilization's core requirement, and local language instructors in London will offer Mandarin courses to interested students. Students who choose to attend will reside in shared, fully furnished apartments with kitchens in central London, according to an email sent to participants. Students will need to switch their tickets from Hong Kong to London following the location change, but many airlines have already issued refunds to travelers who canceled their tickets due to the outbreak. Participants were given until February 14th, three days after the announced change, to decide whether they would still attend the program in London or would remain on campus. More than 20 students originally enrolled in the program were affected by the change. However, most students chose to remain in the program, according to program director Lauren Schneider. As a result of the coronavirus outbreak, 
the UN campus in Hong Kong has been closed since January 29th. Mick Swigan, in an email to the Maroon, has emphasized that the paramount goal in ma- is maintaining the safety of faculty, students, staff, and visitors. Awesome. And in somewhat of an unrelated story, uh, the Institute of Politics, or IOP, hosted a debate between former Pennsylvania Senator Rick Santorum and conservative commentator Bill Kristol on February 27th in Ida Noyce Hall. And the event was titled Republicans, Whose Party Is It Anyway? Santorum and Crystal each argued about their vision for the future of the Republican Party. So what did they talk about? Well, the debate opened with a discussion of Donald Trump as the face of the Republican Party. While Santorum claimed that most Republicans support Trump's positions on the trade and deficit, he posited that Trump's national security policy remains a point of concern among Republicans. Santorum argued that while Trump's character may not be widely admired, his politics are still supported by the wide majority of people in the Republican Party. Crystal argued that allowing Trump to be the face of the Republican Party casts doubts on, quote, the spirit of the party, the many questions of the rule of law and democratic norms and how politics should be conducted. Did they talk about any conservative policies? Santorum moved to a discussion about different areas where the Republican Party has failed to gain any progress. He began with the issue of the balanced budget, positing that Republicans talk about reducing the national debt but don't actually do anything to make that happen. And he also explained that Republicans have no solid plan for health care. So how did this debate end? So the debate ended with the idea of being a Trumpist or following everything that Trump does and says for fear of being personally attacked by him. The example of Matt Gates, a Republican representative in Congress, was brought up. After Gates disagreed with Trump about the War Powers Act, Trump personally attacked him. Even so, Crystal proclaimed, who cares about Trump? They, Republicans, should have enough self-respect to stand up for themselves. So there's been a lot of stories surrounding this IOP whiteboard girl recently, right? What do you have, what do you, what do you have for us, Isaac? So David Axelrod, the former chief strategist for President Barack Obama and the founding director for the University of Chicago's Institute of Politics, spoke on this particular issue by addressing a recent post made by the Institute of Politics that led to, as he wrote, unacceptable harassment of a student whose views had aired and opened a new debate about free expression on campus. The post is part of the IOP's Why I Vote campaign, in which students write about their motivation for voting, which the IOP shares on social media platforms. It showed a UChicago student holding a whiteboard with the message, I vote because coronavirus won't destroy America, but socialism will. And as we could have expected, this post predictably stirred a strong reaction from both university and non-university students and individuals reading the pieces. Axelrod commented that the coronavirus is a scourge that has claimed the lives, sad to say, and will probably claim many more before it is subdued by science. He then acknowledged how the minimization of a global crisis was offensive to those who have loved ones here and overseas who have been infected or whose lives have been disrupted in both large ways and small. Axelrod followed this concession on the nature of the message by claiming that the second half of the statement, but socialism will, is what caused the sharp response, not the former. Later in the letter, he posted a thought experiment in which the same message was written on the whiteboard, but the word socialism was changed to the word hate. So the whiteboard would then read, the coronavirus won't destroy America, but hate will. Axelrod wrote that he believed that there would not be as big of a backlash had this been the message. The purpose of Why I Vote campaign for students is to share what would prompt them to vote. And this was one student's answer. 
Axelrod said that she was entitled to express her opinions without the online harassment that followed. He spoke for the IOP's behalf when he strongly condemned and deeply regretted the threatening comments that the students had received in reaction to the post. It is the obligation of the Institute of Politics to share her response, along with many others, and to avoid censorship of provocative statements that do not align with the majority of campus's opinion. There are obvious limits to free speech, such as hate speech, but Axelrod defended the student by saying that her message was not hate speech. He again spoke for the IOP by writing, We welcome any student who has a point of view on this or any post to respond but without personally impunging or threatening its author. At the same time, any student who offers an intentionally provocative idea can expect a strong response. Historically, the IOP has brought in speakers from the left, right, and center to the University of Chicago to debate different viewpoints and visions for the country, and they should not refuse to air a controversial viewpoint from a student because of the likely objection to it. Covering another side of this story, in an op-ed in the Maroon titled, I Am the IOP Whiteboard Girl, Evita Duffy wrote about the message she wrote on the whiteboard for the IOP's I Vote Because initiative, as well as her experiences at this school. On the board, she had written, to reiterate, I vote because the coronavirus won't destroy America, but socialism will. She described being in the minority opinion on campus, as she identifies as a conservative Hispanic woman and considers the campus to be liberal. She hoped it might, quote, encourage a lively and robust debate on economics, end quote, but she was not expecting threats or messages of hate. She described the attacks she received online from attacks on her character, intellect, family, and appearance, as well as, quote, threats of physical violence. She then claimed that the coronavirus has killed 12 people in the U.S. and over 3,000 globally, and compared this with, quote, tens of millions of people who have died at the hands of socialism and communism, end quote. She attributed people's lack of knowledge of these numbers to a dishonest education system. She noted that the IOP and the university administration had not yet come to her defense at the time of the writing of this piece and believed that this is part of the campus's liberal, quote, groupthink. She expressed disappointment in the response to her message and encouraged reflection on civility in debates and disagreements on campus. And then finally, in yet another opinion piece, Darcy Quang responded strongly to Avita Duffy, calling her message insensitive, offensive, and racist. Quang was bothered by Duffy's usage of the coronavirus as a way to express her political opinion, which could have been done without mentioning the outbreak. Although Quang concedes to the truth that socialism and communism have killed more people than the coronavirus through the course of history, she still does not understand why the comparison was made in the first place. Quang expressed sadness at the threats and cyberbullying that Duffy went through as a result of her message, but also wanted Duffy to realize how negatively the message impacted Chinese students at the college. Quang also directed a message to David Axelrod, who came to Duffy's defense. Axelrod claimed that people were more angry about the socialism aspect of the message rather than the coronavirus aspect, so Quang made it clear in her message that she was angry about the mention of the outbreak. That's all we got for you guys this week. Uh, as always, I'm Ram. I'm Ruth. And I'm Isaac. Music for the Weekly is produced in part by Aaron Sendon, Andrew Dietz, and Kenny Tabit LaVega. Thank you to the Logan Cage for the provision of the audio recording space. Have an excellent 10th week. Good luck on finals, and we will see you guys next quarter.